Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Message today. Well, we are in week four of a series called How to Live Through a Bad Day. And I think each and every single one of us in here has faced a bad day. But all of our days, those bad days, they're they're different levels of them, right? Like some of us, our bad day is the fact that we are focusing on lunch. We get really, really excited about it, and then we realize it's Sunday, and you can't go to Chick-fil-A because it's closed. Boo. Boo. Or maybe, maybe your bad day is the fact that you're, you're in, stuck in traffic and you're late for a meeting, or maybe it's, it's a breakup that you're going through right now, or maybe there's a health situation that you're facing, or even the loss of a loved one. We have these different levels of bad days, and that's what we're talking about in this series, because Jesus suffered through his worst day possible. We call it Good Friday, but it was anything but good for Jesus. Uh, in fact, he, he suffered terribly, and we're looking at how Jesus faced that bad day so that we can learn to be like him, so that when we have a bad day, we know how to face it. And so our key verse for this whole series is Hebrews 12, 2. It says, keep your eyes on Jesus. So that means to, to fix our focus on him. Watch how he did it. So, oh, so excuse me, sorry who began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, the cross, the shame, or whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. And so in this series, here's what we're doing. The, the, the day, Jesus' worst day, his bad day, Jesus made seven statements as he hung on the cross. And we're looking at those seven statements for life lessons to learn how we face our bad days. The first thing Jesus said when they lifted the cross up from the ground and as he was hanging there, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so the first lesson is to learn to forgive everyone who's trying to ruin your life. The second thing Jesus said as he hung on the cross was to to a thief. Jesus was crucified alongside two thieves. And the first thief insulted him, but the other one said, Jesus, remember me when you get into your kingdom. And Jesus said, I tell you today, you'll be with me in paradise. And so the lesson we learned from that was to help other people that are struggling with the same thing that you are struggling with. And then last week, we talked about the scene where Jesus is now hanging there and his mother and his best friend, John, appear before him. And Jesus, in the middle of his worst day, begins to consider what his mom is facing. And so he says to his mom, as he gestures to John, mom, here's your son, and to John, here's your mom. Now take care of each other. And so, so we learn that, that even though we're facing our bad day, we can still care about those closest to us. This week, we're moving on to the fourth statement that Jesus made, and here is the scene. So far, you need to know that the way this whole thing began was Jesus was in the garden praying, and he was betrayed by one of his disciples, one of his followers, one of those close to him. And then when the guards came and took Jesus, he was abandoned by all of his friends, even his best friend, John. Then he was taken to a a trial that happened at night that was illegal, both in the Roman uh, government and the Jewish laws. You were not allowed to do that. And so he was falsely accused on trial and nobody stood up for him. And then, of course, he was beaten 
And then he was crucified and humiliated because he would have been hanging on the cross fully naked. And you need to understand that hanging on the cross meant that Jesus was not just hanging there to die, he was hanging there being tortured. To be crucified was a form of torture because as you hung there, your lungs could not fully expand so that you could breathe. And so in order to be able to fully breathe, you had to pull up on the nails and push up on them and so that you could catch a breath and then go back into a hanging position. You would hang there for days oftentimes as you slowly suffocated and died. And this is where Jesus is. He's hanging on the cross, and as if the situation couldn't get any worse, darkness falls. In the middle of the day, the sun disappears, and it's black outside. And it's possible that those, and we know that that even one of the Roman centurions that was standing by after Jesus died, maybe they reconsidered who he was after all. And in the middle of this darkness, this is where we find our story too. You know how things are bad, and then they go to worse, and then darkness falls. And you just could not imagine, why did this happen on top of everything that I'm already going through? We feel hopeless, we feel alone, and now it's dark. And I think this moment for Jesus, this is probably his most human moment. Yes, Jesus is fully God, but he was also fully man. It's a great mystery for us. But he would, because he was man, he experienced all that we experienced, even a feeling of despair, Because as Jesus is hanging on the cross, I think this is what he felt. You say, well, how could he have felt despair? Didn't he know what the plan was? Didn't he understand why he came to the earth and that it was to die on the cross? Of course. Of course he knows that. But you know, pain is the great blinder. The things that you know go out the window when you start to experience pain and start having a bad day. Your feelings take over. They trump how you're feeling. In fact, when you're going through something like Jesus was going through physically, your body goes into shock. Certain systems begin to shut down and you begin to think differently and even panic and flail. Have you ever seen somebody who's drowning before? If they're, they're in the water, they're drowning, they can't breathe. And what are they doing? They're flailing. If they're flailing, you can't even rescue them. They can't be rescued because they'll drown you too if you try to. That's why the easiest thing to do is knock them out and then rescue them, you know? It's a true story. But we flail. And I think in this moment, Jesus being on the cross, he's flailing. His body is shutting down. And the pain has gotten to him, and he's gasping for air. And Jesus can't help but give in to the feelings of why. See, that's what happens. When our pain level is the highest, when things around us are going bad, the loudest question echoing in our hearts is why. See, we search for understanding. We are naturally inclined to do that. Do you know that? Right now, where you sit, your brain is making sense of everything in the room around you. It's making sense of the fact that you're in a chair, that you're not falling, that you're comfortable, so you're relaxed. It's making sense of the temperature in the room. It's making sense of the lighting that hits my face to let you see how pretty it is and how glorious my beard is. (laughs) And then as you hear statements like that, you laugh at it. Your brain is making sense of what's going on. And when we're in pain, your brain tries to figure out why. What exactly is happening? You're trying to understand And that's why no matter what we face, no matter what pain we face, 
We grasp at that one thing. I need to understand why. So when we're facing our bad days, we go to our friends. Why is this happening? We go to our parents. Why did that happen? Why, we even go to pastors. Why would God, if he's so good, would he let this happen? And we know what the Bible says. We know that it tells us to trust him. We know that Proverbs 20, verse 24 says, the Lord directs our steps, so why to try to understand everything along the way? In other words, it's not understanding that we need. It's trust that we need. And yet, the greatest question we have is, why? The question that, that, that brings us to our knees is, why? We know we should trust. We know we can trust. But instead, we ask why. And Jesus did too. And you need to understand, it's okay. That's the fourth statement that Jesus made. He said, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? I've heard many pastors and theologians over the years tell us that the reason Jesus said this, and they're just speculating they said, in this moment, he's carrying the weight of all the sins of the world and that God turned his back on him. Can I just correct that view of my God real quick? That doesn't sound like God anywhere in the Bible. In fact, there is nowhere that God turns his back on anyone because of their sin. Not me, not you. He's never done that to us once, and I don't believe that this is what was happening in this moment. What I think is that Jesus was experiencing fully all that we go through when we're in pain, all that we experience when we're having a bad day. And those feelings overwhelmed him and it felt like God had forsaken him. And so Jesus, in this simple statement, is demonstrating us, creating a model for us in how we face our bad days. He gives us a model for the question of why. See, Jesus didn't go through it the way that we go through it. He didn't ask the people around him why, he didn't look to his mom. He didn't look to his best friend. He didn't look to the Romans who were crucifying him or the Jewish leaders and say, why? He looked to God. And in so doing, he gave us permission and the posture for our questions of why. He taught us to aim your hard questions at God, not man. Because see, God can handle our doubts. God can handle our confusion. He can handle our pain and our lack of answers. God can handle all of that. We all know what that feels like, to not have the answers. When we're looking all around us and nobody can tell us why something is happening. No, we can't turn to them, but we can cry out to God just like Jesus did on the cross. You know, a few years back, actually, I have to tell you this to tell you that. When our church first started, you know, we, we started in a funeral home. If you didn't know that, welcome to the journey. And the questions began then. God, why? Why are we in a funeral home? Why did they bulldoze the Hooters instead of letting us use that building? Why are we here? And the answer to that became very, very clear. See, where we were placed was on Main Street. And we found out almost immediately that there was a sober community. Those in recovery that were living, about 100 of them living, most of them within walking distance of the funeral home. And so our why became very clear why we were there. It was to reach a community. 
And so we did. We began investing in them. I began doing Bible studies with them individually and with groups. I began preaching there and, and going and, and inviting them to our church, but also going to their group meetings. I began fellowshipping with them, walking with them. And now to this day, some of those that were in recovery are, are, are some of my closest friends. They serve in this church. They're welcome here and we're glad that they're here. But somewhere along the way, one of them, and this has actually happened with many of them, I think my number is up to 12, but I met a guy named Kyle. And Kyle was probably one of the most, most gentle people that I knew. He was probably also one of the funniest guys I've ever met. Probably one of the funniest people you'll ever meet. And you've met me. <laughs> He's a funny guy. Kyle had a huge heart for people. And he knew that there was a call of God on his life to serve people. But he struggled with this addiction thing. Back and forth he went. And God placed him in my life and we began to love on him and walk with him. And I remember many Sunday afternoons my family went to his house to the community of people he had living there with him. And we had, we'd just have lunch together, hang out together. And I kept after Kyle. I kept trying to get him to serve and be a part of one of our teams here. And well, he made a decision to do that. See, Kyle, could, he could just thrash on a guitar, man. He was awesome. Taught himself, played by ear, amazing guy. I finally wore him down and got him to a place where he felt like he could be on the team. And so I remember the first night that he was on team with me, we stood back to back and posed for a picture and and, and played guitar together and rocked out and just had a great time. It was shortly after that that, that it happened. We were in El Salvador on a missions trip. My team was there, and it was our last day, the fun day, where you get to kind of go around El Salvador, and we were walking along some Mayan ruins. And uh, my wife and I, we turned off our cell phones because we didn't want to pay for the international service there. But somebody on our team didn't, and they got a call. And next thing I know, there's, there's somebody running up behind me because I'm leading my team. I'm walking, you know, I'm, I'm the guy in charge. And I'm, there's, here's the Mayan ruins. <laughs> there's a rock. There's a building. Things happened here a long time ago. And I hear somebody coming up behind me, and it's my wife, and it's followed by tears from several people. And, and I turn around, and I, hear, and I heard it. Kyle's gone. He had passed. He had succumbed to his addiction. They found him in his car alone and by himself. And there was nothing I could do. I remember trying to keep it, keep it all together because the, the people around me that were crying, I was like, I've got to be strong. And I hugged everybody. They were hugging each other. And I remember walking away from them to, to lead. But the question started almost immediately. Why? Why him? Why, why let him come this far in his relationship with you? to take him now? Why didn't I go for the international package? Would he, have been, would he have called me? Was he trying to call me? Why did I do that? All the questions. Why? Why? I was thankful. The, the, the one grace was that it happened at the end of the journey, the end of the trip, so that the next day we could get on a plane and head home and I could comfort his friends and his family and be part of his funeral service. But the questions didn't stop. They didn't stop. And I know that you know that feeling. When you feel helpless, the question is why. When you have no answers, the questions are why. When, when you have no hope, the question is why. When you see no way out of your situation, 
It's why. Why? And it's in these moments that we need to do several things as we ask God why. And the first thing that we need to do is to trust in his nature. To trust in his nature. Now, I want to tell you this. I think that a lot of us possibly in this room have the wrong picture of who God is in his nature. See, we imagine God with a big white beard and a white robe, and he's holding a lightning bolt, and he's ready to zap us the second we do something wrong. That's not who God is. God's not angry with you. He loves you. He's not mad at you about what you did last night or last weekend. He's not angry. He, he loves you, and he wants you to come home. That's, that's the proper picture of God. I think as pastors, we've, we've actually set up this image of God so that people would be afraid of him. They would be afraid because he's so terrible. We are sinners in the hands of an angry God. It's a very popular sermon that has been shared for years. I don't believe that God is angry with us at all. I believe that he loves us. He is full of grace and mercy. In fact, Paul said this about him. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Jesus' best friend, John, wrote 1 John 4, 8, and he said, God is love. God is a God of comfort. He is a God of compassion. He is a God of love because he literally embodies and is love. There's no evil in him, only good. We need to trust his nature. Second thing we need to do is to trust in his promises. What does his word say? While we're going through our bad day, while we're asking the question why, what does God's word have to say? What are his promises for us? See, the thing is, you can't know what those promises are if you don't read your Bible. That's why we invite you to join us. I don't care that you've been a Christian for two years and have never opened your Bible. Let's start today. Join, download the Simple Church app. There's, there's a daily, they call it a devotional. It's, it's a daily reading. Selections are done for you. You can join us on the one-year Bible and read exactly what I'm reading every day, what so many of us are reading every single day. We'll help you get the best translation so that you know exactly what God is trying to speak to you so that you can know his nature and you can understand his promises for you. Because when you face your day, your bad day, and you're asking why, you can lean into God's promises. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. That means his promises are true. And so through him, the amen is spoken to us to the glory of God. One of God's promises for us is that he will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. That's Hebrews 13, 5. You say, well, I feel forsaken, though. It doesn't feel like God is with me. Well, don't trust your feelings. Your feelings are fickle. That word means they flip-flop. Your feelings are like Ohio weather. Just wait. They will change. (laughs) Don't trust your feelings. Trust God's word. It's unchanging. It's true. God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He also promised that everything you face, he'll use for your good and for his glory. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. In other words, he'll use what the devil meant for bad in your life for his good, or for your good and for his glory. I call it he'll take your mess and turn it into your message. That's what God does. He says, he says, hey, I'll use this 
for your benefit. It, it, it takes you from, I was this, but because of God, now I'm this. You say, well, I was hurting, questioning, crying out, but our good God who never leaves me brought me through it, and now I'm serving others who hurt the same way. See, that can be your story. That takes your mess and makes it your message. God will use your pain and the bad days you face for your good. That's a promise. Because let me help you understand, pain is the passport that will take you where you never could have gotten any other way. There are some things that you can only learn through pain. So trust in his nature and trust in his promises. And then trust in his final destination. Trust in his final destination. See, while you're crying out, you're trusting in, 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 in his nature and his promises. You're questioning God why. Well, trust this one thing, that heaven is far better than earth because that's where we're all headed. Like if you're a Christ follower, if you're with Jesus, then we're all in. That's where we're going. Paul explained this, and, and, and just so you understand, Paul was, was somebody who followed Jesus. He encountered him. He used to be against Christians, killed and persecuted him. He meets Jesus, is completely transformed, goes on to spread the gospel outside of the Jewish community to what are known as the Gentiles. That means non-Jews. He writes the majority of the second half of the Bible known as the New Testament. And Paul faced some stuff. He faced some difficult things. He was beaten, he was stoned, and I don't mean with the wacky tobacco. I mean like they threw stones at him and tried to kill him, left him for dead. He was shipwrecked, he was starved, he was jailed, and yet, and yet he looked, through, looked at life through the lens of eternity. And he said this, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Why? Though outwardly we're wasting away. In other words, we got stuff going on in our lives. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Well, how, Paul? He says, for our light and momentary troubles. See, Paul looked at his troubles, the issues, all of that stuff as light and momentary. See, because you and I, we look at the pain we're going through right now and we, like, we, we make it huge. We're like, my goodness, this is the worst thing I've ever faced. Will it never end? It is so long. It is so painful. And yet, in view of eternity, our lives are very, very short. You think 100 years is long. How about eternity? That's a much bigger time than 100 years that we could possibly live on this earth. And Paul's saying, with eternity in mind, all these troubles are light and momentary. And they are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So how do you do that? He said, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, your troubles, your worries, your cares, your health issues, your debt, your loss. He says, we don't focus on those things, but what, on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. He's talking about heaven. He's saying, keep your eyes on heaven. Keep your eyes on heaven because it's eternal. What's here and now is temporary. You need to understand that Jesus experienced the worst on earth so that we could experience God's best in heaven. So we trust in his nature, we trust in his promises, and we trust in our final destination, and that's heaven. So let's trust. But there's a process to this, right? There's a process that we have to go through, and most often, this process is a waiting game. But it's not just about waiting, it's about patiently waiting. I know many people hate that word patiently waiting. We wish we could just cut that word right out of the Bible, right? But patience is a work that the Holy Spirit does in us. So we patiently wait. Patiently speaks to what we do while we're waiting, while we're going through our bad day, while we're questioning God. Why? There's a process. 
And there's things that we can do while we wait. In fact, Jesus is doing something while we wait. The, the Bible tells us this, that, that there's a prophecy from Isaiah in Isaiah 63, 9. And it's about him and what he's going to do for us. In other words, he's foretelling this. So since it's about us, you can take that verse and all their suffering, you can say, and all my suffering, because it's about you. So in all my suffering, he also suffered. And he personally rescued me. In his love and mercy, he redeemed me. He lifted me up and carried me through all the years. So you can personalize it because it's about you. This is what Jesus is doing while you wait. He's carrying you. Well, you're going through the process. And there's a few things you can do while you wait. While you're asking why, the first thing you can do is learn, why, learn while asking why. There's something you can learn in this whole process. It's best if you just start asking God, what are you trying to teach me? Some of you, the pain that you're facing right now, the bad day that you're in, you just need to ask God, okay, why? I hear you, but it's more about what? What are you trying to teach me? Because listen, you need to understand God is a good father, and I believe that he will leave you in that pain till you learn what you need to learn. Because I think there are things he can't and won't teach you outside of the pain you are experiencing. So start asking, what do you want me to learn here? Hebrews 5.8 says, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In other words, he didn't learn from the good days. He didn't learn from the times he was high-fiving and joking with his buddies. He learned from the difficult days. No matter what is happening around us, God can do something in us. Transforming your mess into your message takes you learning something on your bad days. And that transformation may be days long, it may be months long, or even years but the greatest thing you can learn through the why is trusting. Check out what Paul said again. He said, in fact, we expected to die. That's a pretty, pretty dismal situation, right? He expected to die, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who raises the dead. He learned to trust God through his bad day. And we can, we can learn in tough times to lean in and get close to God. So we can learn while asking why, and then we can love while asking why. This is the second lesson that we actually did in this series to help somebody who's struggling with the same thing you're struggling with, to love them. It's to asking the question, who can I love while I'm hurting? Who can I serve? Because you know you can be the answer to someone else's pain. Hebrews 13, 16 says, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. A sacrifice doesn't sound like fun, does it? Nobody likes sacrifice. No, nobody likes the, the change that comes along with that. Sacrifice doesn't sound like fun because it's not. We don't want to give. We don't want to share. We don't want to serve, especially not on our bad days. But when you do, these are the kind of sacrifices that please God. So love during the why. Serve during the why. Comfort people during the why. Paul says again, 2 Corinthians 1.4, he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. So love during the why. And the last thing you can do is worship while asking why. Worship while asking why. You say, Aaron, worship? That seems counterintuitive. Sing a song? Well, it can be a song. Worship can take that, that shape. Worship is simply expressing your love to God. 
It's telling him how much you love him and telling him why you love him. You say, Aaron, how am I supposed to worship right now? I'm not even sure what I think about God. You sure? Worship? Absolutely. I believe that in the middle of this pain, if you truly want to be healed, if you truly want to come out of this the other side, that the only option for us is to worship, is to fix our eyes on Jesus. See, worship does something that, that nothing else can. Is, 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 it exalts God. See, I think when we're going through our pain, we make our pain bigger than God himself. But God is much bigger than the struggle that we're facing. It's bigger than the pain that we're going through. And when we worship, we make him as big as he really is. We remind ourselves, we see him through a different lens. We turn our attention to him. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe, for our God is a devouring fire. See, I believe that when you come to God and you worship him, that because he's a devouring fire, those cares and those concerns, those questions, the pain that you're facing in the middle of your bad day, that he consumes all of that and leaves you with all that he is. When you worship him, it changes everything. When you worship, when you put God in his proper place, it allows you to say three words that I think are the proper posture and expression of worship. They're the words that when I'm facing relational difficulty, I have whispered them to God. When I'm struggling, when my, I have a bad back and when my back is hurting, I turn to God and say these three words. When, I, when people are persecuting me and I don't understand it, I say these three words. And it's, I trust you. Because see, when you worship him, you remember that he's trustworthy. When you worship him, you remember he's faithful. When you worship, you remember how powerful he is, how good he is, how loving he is. When you worship, it puts your problems in proper perspective and you're able to, with confidence, utter those words, I trust you. You worship him before you have an answer. You worship him regardless of ever getting an answer. You worship regardless of your circumstance ever changing. I'm in pain, I trust you. I'm at a loss for what to do, I trust you. I can't fix it, I trust you. Because real worship is trusting God when life doesn't make sense. As I walked in here today, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, there's people here that, that are going through it, Aaron, and they just need a moment to tell God, I trust you, to worship. And so even if you were here already through song service, these guys, I've asked them to be on stage, they're gonna sing with us a song that I have sung many times that expresses the heart of trusting God. Brings such peace. The song is called It Is Well. And the reason it is well is because we trust, because he's with us, because he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And so as they sing, they're just going to sing a small part of the song. If you know the song, you can sing with us. But more importantly, would you just allow it to minister to your heart? Would you just tell him how much you love him? Would you utter the words, I trust you, as they sing? It 
sing it out with us? Let this be the cry of your heart today, no matter what you're facing. well with us because you're with us. We know we're not alone. You're faithful, trustworthy. You're a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Right where you're at, would you just close your eyes and say, I trust you. I trust you. Father, I pray today that you would help us to trust in your nature, that you're good, that your promises are true, and that our final destination, heaven, is better than this earth. Lord, and as we are walking this out, as we're walking out, waiting and asking why, Lord, I pray that you would Help us to learn whatever it is you have for us to learn in this time of pain. As we face this bad day, would you help us to love those that are around us? And above all, remind us to worship, to exalt you, to say, I trust you. In this moment of prayer, there I believe there are people in this room that today You need to to trust God with your life. So you've been carrying the weight of your own life on your own and you're exhausted. And you need to know that that's not what God intended for you. It's not his best for your life. In fact, 
what God intended for you was to have a relationship with him. But our sin separates us from God. The penalty of our sin is eternal separation from God. But God sent his son Jesus to die on that cross, to pay the penalty for our sins. And in doing so, he gave us the right to be forgiven, to have a full and fulfilled life here on earth and eternity in heaven. And so today, if you're ready to trust your life to God, that just begins with a prayer. It begins with just accepting what Jesus did for you, acknowledging your need for a Savior. So I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment. I'll give you the words to pray, but if you're here today and you want to pray that prayer with us, say, Aaron, I'm ready to, to say yes to Jesus and trust him with my life. Would you just slip your hand up right now and say, that's me? Would you just do that and be bold? Say, hey, that's me. That's me. Thank you. Thank you. you put your hands down. Listen, church, can we all pray together? There's no reason anybody should pray alone. This is a, a holy moment where somebody's making a decision. We say, Jesus, I need you. I give you my life. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. Show me how to live for you. And I'll spend every day doing that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.